1: PlushCare Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zeppound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection.
0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back for a brand new episode of Collider Dailies. I'm Perry, this is Steve, and we have three very interesting stories to run through today. Steve, how goes it?
1: I just want to know, so did you not feel like doing your hair this morning? Is that the reason for the hat?
0: Did you not feel like doing your hair this morning?
1: I never feel like doing my hair, which is why, hence...
0: (laughs) Um, I felt like, uh, embracing a little Stephen King because we have a Stephen King story on our lineup. And also it is a week away from Halloween. So you will see a lot of, uh, Halloween horror t-shirts and hats in the coming days on Collider Daily. So there is the reasoning for my hat today. All right. Story number one is another release date delay. We we said this might happen the other day and sure enough it is happening. Mission Impossible 8 is delayed. Paramount delayed the movie from its planned June 28th, 2024 release date to May 23rd, 2025. So, like other films of this size and scale, it is being forced to move largely because of the sag after strike, because a lot of these films have had to stop production and will not be able to be completed in time for their 2024 release date. So there is a chance that again, this could be one of many to come. As far as Mission Impossible 8 is concerned, though, Steve, do you think that having more time between Dead Reckoning Part 1 and Mission Impossible 8, which they're changing the title for also, it's not going to be Dead Reckoning Part 2 anymore, do you think that this wider gap between releases is going to help or hurt this movie?
1: It's absolutely going to help. I have a lot to say on this. Uh, number one, um, they have not filmed, I am interviewed Chris McQuarrie for Part 1. And he told me that the main set piece, the big set piece of part two, they hadn't filmed yet. And I don't want to spoil what it is for people that haven't seen the movie, but it involves water. And uh, it's a big, big sequence. And um, they haven't filmed it yet. So you can't make the release date if you haven't even filmed a huge set piece. Like They were supposed to film the rest of the year. So there's a lot of this movie, probably at least 50% of this movie that needs to be filmed. You're never going to make a summer of 2024. That's number one. Number two, uh, the movie had the unfortunate situation of coming out like a week before Barbenheimer and it got killed because it just it, it had no large screens. It didn't do as well as they expected. And one of the reasons why they're dropping the name Dead Reckoning Part 2 is they need to make sure people don't feel like you have to have seen the last one to go to this one. So it actually makes a lot of sense to do Mission Impossible 8 or switch it to another title. And they'll probably, to to be honest, they'll probably rework Dead Reckoning Part 1 into just Dead Reckoning. I'll bet you they drop Part 1 mm-hmm. at some point. And so it's just Mission Impossible 7, Dead Reckoning, Mission Impossible 8, something else. And the extra year will allow people to watch the film on Paramount Plus, on Blu-ray, on airplanes, on wherever you see a movie. And when it comes out in the summer of 2025, people will be hungry for Mission Impossible. They'll have forgotten the last one, didn't do as well as they had hoped. Basically, it's all upside moving to 2025.
0: I am in agreement on some. I think it's a mix of both. On the one hand, I do think it's going to help that people have more time to catch up on the movie that they might have missed in theaters. And I do think it is smart to drop Dead Reckoning Part 2. But then on the other hand, when I really think about it, this is the problem we're having with the large majority of franchises. It doesn't... like it. It only matters so much that they drop Dead Reckoning Part 2. It's still the eighth Mission Impossible movie. And with every single movie you release, your audience gets narrower and narrower and narrower. So they're going to run into that problem no matter what. And then the other thing that I keep thinking about, and this isn't Mission Impossible specific. I think this is industry wide. It's just such a crapshoot with these gigantic, massive, budgeted films. Such a small percentage of them are actually crushing it at the box office. And while Mission Impossible is a franchise that I do love, it, it does seem like it's being relegated to that group that, you know, it didn't crash and burn at the box office by any means. It still made a a nice chunk of money, but it's not making enough anymore to justify these huge budgets.
1: Well, the, the, something else about mission impossible, and it's the same. And I had this discussion with a movie producer or two uh, when it didn't perform. And we were talking about why didn't it perform. And I think it's very important uh, to, to, if you stand, like, let me give you an example you stand at the AMC Century City, which is a huge movie theater in Los Angeles, very popular, Uh, we do screenings there. If you just stand there in the lobby and look at the people that are going to see movies, they're primarily under 35. It is the large majority of the audience. And the problem with Mission Impossible, the problem with Indiana Jones, uh, Dial of Destiny, and a lot of these movies that are geared towards an adult audience is they don't have any people in it that under 35 or teenagers want to go see. So, like, I love Tom Cruise. I love Simon Pegg. I love the Mission Impossible cast and and Chris McQuarrie. And I I think the movie was phenomenal, uh, Dead Reckoning Part 1. But there's nobody for Gen Z to go see. There's no young star. There's no Jenna Jenna Ortega. There's (laughs) no person that's going to, like, pull people in from a younger audience. And I think that's something that a lot of people are losing track of that. Like my mom is fine watching mission impossible at home. Like she doesn't need to rush out to go see the movie. And, and what I'm saying is I think that these huge budget movies need to factor in that the primary audience of the at movie theaters is a younger audience and you need to entice them to come in with people that they want to see in a movie. That's why I think Beetlejuice two is going to be a juggernaut because Jenna is so, so popular it's a cool movie. It's, you know, everything about that movie is cool, but the reason it got made is Jenna Ortega because you're, you're essentially going after a younger audience and the older audience that comes along, well, that's great. So oh. I just think it's, I think it's important and these movies are not factoring that in.
0: Jenna's a great example. I mean, look at, and you know, obviously Scream does not have the same size budget as Mission Impossible, but look at how those movies do. Those movies are really doing the franchise thing right in terms of, playing it to the longtime fans like me who are obsessed with every ounce of that franchise, but also not only bringing in young, famous faces like, let's say, a Jenna Ortega, but they're building their stories in a way where they can serve as on ramps for newcomers. Newcomers can still appreciate those stories. And then those stories could maybe inspire them to go back and watch the older films. That's what all franchise should be doing right now to have the widest possible audience. There's no other choice, really.
1: Yeah, and look, I think you're right, though. The fact of the matter is, once you get up to Mission Impossible 7 and 8, there is an element of, for the audience, do I need to have seen all these other movies to go see this movie? And, I mean, I I personally think you, Mission Impossible, uh, Dead Reckoning, you can go watch that movie without having seen any other Mission Impossible, Mm -hmm. and it's a blast. But, you know, uh, it's still an issue. I think a lot of people wonder, do I need to rewatch all these movies to go see it?
0: I, I agree with what you said. I think Dead Reckoning Part One was excellent, and I also do think it's something you could watch without seeing any of the other Mission Impossible movies, which is great. There's just so much that you know, like us saying that is going to do as far as the masses, uh, the masses going to the movies are, are going to respond to. They need they need like the widest possible audience to immediately compute. I can see this movie without having seen seven others. And that's a very difficult thing to achieve. So we will see what happens with that one over the next two years.
1: Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role.
0: Next story is one I'm very excited about. We're going to talk about the cast of Mike Flanagan's next movie. Steve, you know I'm full-blown obsessed with his entire filmography, but especially right now, the fall of the House of Usher. So any Mike Flanagan news was going to make me happy today. But I am especially happy because, one, this is a great cast he's assembled, and it's another Stephen King adaptation. Again, Stephen King hat. That's what we're celebrating right now. All right, so... His new movie is an adaptation of The Life of Chuck, which is a Stephen King short story, just in case you are not aware of what the story is about. And I won't spoil anything for uh, for anyone who hasn't read it. It is largely about a person named Charles Kranz, and the whole story is told in reverse beginning with his death and ending with uh, his experience in a childhood house that has uh, that could maybe have some, uh, you know, otherworldly qualities to it. It's a very interesting short story. It's actually in the same book that um, I believe the boogeyman is in. And I am very big into expanding Stephen King's short stories or taking like I'm thinking about Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, too, Steve, taking a couple of lines or or even just a single chapter of a book and using that as an opportunity to expand rather than doing a straight adaptation. So I think this story has a lot of potential, especially in Mike Flanagan's hands and especially with these characters in the hands of people like Chiwetel Ejiofor, Karen Gillan and Jacob Tremblay rock rock solid group right there those names are being added to a list that already includes tom hiddleston and mark hamill so yay i am very excited for the life of chuck
1: yeah whatever mike flanagan is smoking i think more people need to smoke it because that man it's like i don't understand when he sleeps i truly don't because it's like every all the time he's either filming rapping Or writing and then shooting. Like, I don't understand when he takes a break. And more power to him because what he writes is so good. What he makes is so good. It's not like he produces weak sauce things that I'm not interested in. He's a very, very talented screenwriter. Mm -hmm. A very, very talented director. And it just tells you how good this script must be if you have that cast coming along.
0: Yeah. And, you know, he's definitely someone who is well known for working with the same people over and over again. And there's definitely a couple of familiar names on this list right here, which is very exciting. But, you know, just going back to the fall of the House of Usher, I feel like what he accomplishes in that in that uh, series with those stories is just a sure sign that he's going to be able to make the most of the life of Chuck uh, short story from from Stephen King, of course, just because, like, there's so much room to explore and build. Like, it's a very interesting short story. And for me, I do think the, you know, I'm not going to call it a reveal, but where it lands in the end is is a like a solid gut punch. But there's a lot of empty space there, a lot of empty space that I think a writer like him can really make a lot out of. So I'm very excited to see how this one turns out. Do you want to move on to our last story of the day, Steve?
1: Sure, what the hell?
0: A potential big one here. We've got an update on the upcoming movie, American Fiction. So why this is a pretty big deal is because, one, American Fiction is a feature directorial debut from Cord Jefferson. When I was busy reading a bunch of most anticipated movie at TIFF lists, uh, I didn't really see a whole lot of American Fiction. Yes, some people had it on their radar because it stars Jeffrey Wright. That's very exciting. But I feel like no one was really valuing it in terms of what it could do during award season. But then it won TIFF's People's Choice Award, which is usually an indicator for, at the very least, a Best Picture nomination, if not a potential win. Now it's got another audience award under its belt. It just won the Middleburg Film Festival's Audience Award. So it's basically accumulating all of these accolades that are pushing it in a very, very positive direction when it comes to the award season race. And I I just saw the movie earlier uh, last week, and I loved it. I think it is an extremely uh, clever way to get at these, uh, at these topics, these themes. Just in case anybody out there does not know what the movie is about, it stars Jeffrey Wright as Monk, and he's a novelist who's basically just had enough with Books reducing people to stereotypes and and also with readers being OK with that happening. So in order to kind of skewer specifically black books that use very offensive tropes, Monk writes one of those books himself under a pen name. And, you know, the, the thing winds up being that book takes off and becomes very popular. And, you know, it explores his experience and how he processes that kind of situation through it. And it's just done so, so creatively and in a one of a kind way. I mean, uh, obviously this is uh court Jefferson's first feature. So this is his, you know, his, his big, uh his big coming out with this movie, but, like, I watch a movie like this and I'm thinking to myself, nobody could have directed this story quite like he did. And all of that just tees up American fiction for a really good award season run. Steve, have you seen it? And are you betting American, fi- American fiction gets a Best Picture nomination?
1: I have not seen it. I have missed a number of screenings. Uh, and this is going to sound so ridiculous. But when I'm not doing interviews, it is very hard to fit in movies, just even though I know how good the movie is. Saying that, I know based on history that mm-hmm. if you win the audience award at TIFF, um, you are a player. Because it also means you're really, really good. And you appeal to everybody if it's the audience winner. So I would say that it, it, it. this goes back to something we talked about maybe yesterday, which is it's all about getting Academy voters and award people to watch your movie. What makes them push play on your film over eight others that they have in their inbox or screeners or whatever. So if you've won the audience award and you are getting buzz and you have Jeffrey Wright all of a sudden, and people are talking about it, all of a sudden people push play over something else. And then if they watch it and enjoy it all of a sudden, so it's really about getting people to watch. So um, I haven't seen the movie yet, but I'm confident that it's a player and best picture just because of what it's done at TIFF. And if you look, and I I forget the the statistics, but it's like the last 15 years, I think it's a crazy number of them have been nominated for Best Picture. So it's it's basically like a shoe-in.
0: I am very, very confident American fiction, at the very least, is going to get a Best Picture nomination. Another thing to be aware of with American fiction is, I mean, this probably goes without saying, given it won an audience award, but hopefully you know what I mean by this, it's a huge crowd pleaser it's it's a movie with thematic heft that is also wildly charming and entertaining to watch I think it's the complete package in terms of people seeing it falling in love with it and it building buzz throughout the season but just to get out what you were just saying Steve if you want to know how many tiff uh, movies go on to get Oscar nominations if not wins these were the most recent titles to win the People's Choice Award at tiff the fablemans Bell Belfast, Nomadland, Jojo Rabbit, Green Book, Three Billboards, La La Land, and Room. And then also, Gold Derby broke this down nicely. If you want to look at the uh, the Middleburg Film Festival and what happened with the movies that won audience awards there, you have Philomena, The Imitation Game, Spotlight, Lion, Green Book, Minari, and Belfast. So these two these two festivals are good indicators. And as someone who's rooting for American fiction, I wanted to get all those accolades because I want to see it go all the way to uh, Oscar night.
1: Yeah, it's exactly what we just said, which is that it's basically like it's a lock, you know, or as close to a shoe-in as you can get outside of Oppenheimer, you know, and um, uh, Killers of of, of, Osage, you know what I mean? Killers of the
0: Flower Moon and and, hey, even Barbie, even Barbie, Steve, Barbie's up there right now.
1: You know what's funny? I don't think people realize or enough people realize that that's almost assuredly getting a Best Picture nom. It would be like shocking for it not just because of how big that movie was and how much money it made and just the buzz on it. Um, I I would be shocked if it's not nominated for Best Picture. I don't Mm -hmm. see it winning, but being nominated is still a huge deal.
0: Oh, yes. Without a doubt. All right. We got to wind down this episode. But before we do, I am dropping a very special link in the live chat because the link that I just put in the live chat will get you access to enter to win free tickets to our Lights Out screening on Saturday night with a post-screening Q&A with David F. Sandberg. You do not want to miss it. Trust me when I tell you that. All of these Scary Perry Horror Series screenings have been a lot of fun, good vibes. So if you want to take part in it yourself, fill that form out and enter to win some tickets. Steve, any upcoming screenings you want to tease for everyone?
1: Uh, Yeah, we're doing freelance tonight. Um, I think I'm going to put on Twitter. I think we have a few open seats, so I might might give some away. Holdovers in New York and L.A. tomorrow night. And later this week, picking winner for Invincible season two premiere with Robert Kirkman Q&A. And there's actually some, maybe two other things that we haven't announced yet
0: that Mm. I'm working
1: on as we speak.
0: I don't even know about those. I'm curious.
1: (laughs) Uh, One of of them is going to be really cool. All
0: right. I believe it. I believe it coming from you. All right, everyone. With that, that is an end to today's Collider dailies. We will be back tomorrow with a brand new episode with John and Maggie. So stay tuned and see you then.